Next weekend, I'm not going to be here. Uh, Glenda and I are going to be away, so I'm going to say in advance to all you mothers out there, Happy Mother's Day. Uh, love you and love the uh, blessings that you are to your families. Uh, I'm going to be speaking at the uh, Upper Peninsula Men's Retreat, uh, and Glenda is going to have her own little mini retreat with Pam Larson uh, in Marquette. Uh, just some time up there together. So uh, we're looking forward to that and hope you will uh, have a good weekend next weekend. I know you're going to have a good preacher because uh, it's going to be Frank Scapani. Uh, he's going to be preaching for us. Uh, he's got a great Mother's Day message worked up. At least I'm going by the title. I'm, I'm interested. Ruth is going to be involved in there somewhere. So uh, really looking forward to that. And I hope you come and, and support him. Um, and moms, use this as an opportunity. You know, it's Mother's Day. And if your children don't come to church, what's a good thing to say to your children on Mother's Day? I'd like you to come to church with me this Sunday. Okay. <laughs> we got to use all those opportunities that we can to reach out and share Christ with everybody, not just our own family, especially our own family, but even those beyond our own family. Did you know that we often overlook opportunities to share the gospel? And I call this the overlooked harvest. The overlooked harvest. And I think that's what we see partially going on in our passage today. Jesus' disciples come in at the end of a conversation that Jesus has been having with this Samaritan woman. It seems odd to them that their master should be talking to a Samaritan woman. But unlike his disciples, who were in training, remember, he knew opportunities when he saw them. And he did not pass them up. Those opportunities to share the good news, to tell about the coming of the kingdom of heaven. Even to the one who, by conventional wisdom of the time, you would have thought would not have been receptive. You see, the Samaritans were the remnants of the northern half of the kingdom of Israel following the civil war uh, that, that came upon Solomon's death. The Jews in Judea considered the Samaritans to be in some ways worse than the Gentiles, even though they shared part of a common scripture. Uh, they had some big misunderstandings that tended to push them apart. A good Jew wouldn't really consider getting into much of a conversation beyond business with a Samaritan. But Jesus understood something that we need to understand if we are going to faithfully bring in the harvest that God has prepared for us in advance. It's already there waiting for us. We really must be prepared to make the most out of every opportunity. And you know, I heard a story the other day that, that kind of illustrates this. You see, recently, J.C., that is as in Joe Cecil Noble, not Jesus Christ, but J.C., was cleaning out his garage. And the strangest thing happened while he was cleaning out his garage. This woman pulled up, she got out of her car, and without saying a word to J.C., she just started going through his stuff. Well, J.C. just kind of kindly stared at her, you know, until she finally turned around and said, oh, this is a garage sale, isn't it? To which J.C. replied, no. I was just cleaning out my garage. But he added, but if you see anything you like, let me know. 
And you know, before that lady left, he'd sold her a frying pan for $5. Now, I just made that story up completely. But Glenda, is that JC? Oh, yeah. <laughs> JC is going to take an opportunity to make a sale. Uh, that's what he loves to do. And you know what? Our Lord wouldn't pass up an opportunity to make a sale either. Our Lord took advantage of the opportunity that he had right before him to reap a harvest, even from this Samaritan woman. And in the end, her testimony led many from her village to embrace Jesus. And I wonder, when you go ahead in the gospel story, into the story of the church, in the book of Acts, in the 8th chapter, when Philip goes into Samaria and preaches the gospel and many Samaritans believe, were these the core of people who were receptive to the message? Who were already introduced, who had already had the word planted and were ready to be harvested? I don't know that for sure. Scripture doesn't tell us. But I can't imagine that those villagers, having met Jesus and having been convicted of who he was, weren't talking about their encounter with the Messiah who had visited their village. Jesus did not look over any opportunity to bring in the harvest, and we can't either. But often, we are confused about the harvest because there are several different harvests mentioned in Scripture. I see three types of harvest, and I'm going to cover those this morning. And each of us should be reaping a harvest in each one of those areas. And I believe that they're all really related to one another because it's all about being fruitful for God. All of the harvest is supplied by God, whether it's within ourselves, and we'll be looking at that, or whether it's from others' lives who we bring to Christ. It's God who supplies the increase. But we have to be willing to shoulder in and do our part in bringing in the harvest. The first harvest that I see us needing to bring in is one that is more within ourselves, and that is the spiritual harvest. Of course, we see in Galatians 5.22 the fruit of the Spirit, don't we? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. You know, last week we talked about the need as resurrection people to be planting the seed, the word of God, uh, into others' hearts as well as into our own hearts. The only way that we're going to develop these fruit of the Spirit is if we are planting God's word within our lives. It's only by a disciplined application of God's word can we hope to produce this fruit. Back in 2002, country singer Vince Gill met a young cancer patient named Tara. He recalled his meeting in a USA Weekend expose. He said, I remember meeting her in the hospital after playing golf all day. And I had a big pink nose, uh, you know, sunburned nose. Tara had no hair, but she had the prettiest smile you ever saw in your life. She said, have you been out in the sun all day? And I told her, yes, I'd been playing golf. Did you wear sunscreen? She asked, well, no. The look on her face took me to my knees, 
It was like, I'm here struggling for my life, and you're not smart enough to wear sunscreen? Then she asked him, well, do you read your Bible every day? My no got the same withering look. I've been wearing sunscreen and reading the Bible just a bit more ever since. (laughs) You know, the Lord wants us to be planting his word in our hearts. We can't just do it every once in a while. It's got to be something that we do all the time. Because the Lord expects a harvest in our lives. A harvest that can be used then to plant his precious seed into the hearts and lives of others. But before that happens, we must be continually sowing the seed into our own lives. You know, Glenda and I like to garden. And if we want, and we usually don't, but if we wanted to get the maximum yield out of our little garden plot, we would be planting several times throughout the season. Am I right? Several times. I mean, by now, we probably should have already gotten some of the cold weather crops planted, like cabbage, and we had some of that come back, so we got some of that going. Uh, You know, winter peas and things like that. Uh, Then later, you're going to plant your tomatoes, because you need a little bit of warmth before they can get really going. And then, uh, and then you plant later in the season some crops that you don't intend to, plant, uh, to harvest until around the first frost. You, you plant it that way so that you have a continual harvest all summer long. Well, that's the, the way we need to be with our lives. If we are continually planting, then we are going to have a fruitful life all through our life, not just certain seasons of our life. And believe me, the different seasons of our life have different aspects to them, don't they? Sometimes we're able to be more fruitful in a physical way. As we get older, you know, the knee, the back, you know, well, we can't do that, but there are other ways we can be fruitful. So each season has its harvest that God has prepared for us to take advantage of. The next harvest we should be seeing in our life is the harvest of righteousness. N.T. Wright, one of the foremost New Testament scholars of our age, defines righteousness this way. The basic meaning of righteousness and its cognates in the Bible denotes not so much the abstract idea of justice or virtue as it does right standing and consequent right behavior within a community. You know, in one way, we do not stand before God justified in and of ourselves. We are not good enough. Nobody can earn their salvation. They're standing before God. It is only through the blood of Christ that we stand before the Father justified. It is Christ's righteousness that saves us as it is imputed to us through our acceptance of Jesus as our Savior by faith. At our baptism, we confess him as our Lord and God's son. We die to ourselves, are buried with him, and then resurrected to live that new life. This is how we have a right standing before God, totally because of Jesus Christ. However, there is something for us to do as we live our resurrected life in Christ Jesus. The old quick definition for righteousness, speaks to this. It is right doing. Right doing. 
Church, if our faith in Jesus Christ is not leading us to right doing, then our standing before God is in jeopardy. Let me repeat that. If our faith in Jesus Christ is not leading us to right doing, then our standing before God is in jeopardy. And do you see how the harvesting of the fruit of the Spirit is connected here to our actions? You know, some of the fruit are practically verbs. Have you ever noticed that? Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. They all imply action on our part. And love, joy, peace, goodness, faithfulness, they're attributes needed for us to be motivated for righteous living. I have to ask you a question. Are you harvesting a crop of righteousness for the Lord? He planted the seed into your lives, expecting a harvest. Remember Jesus' teaching in John, the 15th chapter, verses 1 and 2, where he says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does not bear fruit He prunes, that does bear fruit, excuse me. He prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. God is expecting a return for his labor. If we fail to bear fruit, then he must maximize his return by cutting us out of the vineyard. As James reminds us, faith without deeds is dead. The Christian who bears no fruit endangers their eternal soul. Finally, the harvest of God must come down to the harvest of souls. For the fields are ripe and harvest. You know, the Samaritans proved this with their ready acceptance of Jesus, a Jew, as the Messiah of God. But to know Jesus as their Savior, people need to hear about him, don't they? And our risen Lord gave that job to you, and he gave that job to me. Years ago at a revival, a businessman came forward one night and became a Christian. The next Sunday, he went to a church he sometimes attended. And after the service, he walked up to one of the leading elders of the church, and he said, I was at the revival last week out at the ballpark, and I went forward and became a Christian. I heard about that, replied the elder, and I'm delighted. Then the businessman said to him, how long have you and I been associated in business? The elder thought a moment and said, about 20, 23 years, I think. Have you known Christ as your Savior all that time? The businessman asked the elder. Yes, I have, the elder answered. Well, I don't remember you ever speaking to me about Christ during those years. I have thought highly of you. In fact, I thought so highly of you that I felt if anyone could be as fine a man as you and not be a Christian, then I didn't have to be a Christian either. You know, a lot of people have said to me, Oh, I just got to live a good life. I don't have to talk about Christ. They'll see Christ in my behavior. They might see something else in your behavior. 
we have to be overt. We have to let the fruit of the Spirit be shown in the righteous acts that we do before others. And then we have to take it the next step and tell others the good news about Jesus Christ. The work of of evangelism, that is the sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of Jesus Christ, is a labor-intensive work. Yes, the labor is divided. Some sow, some water, some reap. But it's still required of every Christian. Now, I thank God for his grace because I am not perfect at this. None of us are. I don't want us to you know, stay on one side, we're saved by faith through, through Jesus Christ and not by works, and then on the other side say, work, 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 or you're going to die and you know, you're never going to make it to heaven. Now, there's a balance in between here. If we have faith, it's going to be shown in our actions. It's going to be shown in our words. It's going to be shown in the way that we live our life. And it's going to be shown in how seriously we take this work that God has given to us. We cannot leave the job to someone else. You can't hire somebody to do the work that God has laid out for you to do. Funny story I I came across uh, during a stay with grandparents, Diana Stevens' five-year-old niece, Michaela. See, somebody else has your name too, Michaela. (laughs) Um, Was over at the grandparents' neighbor pulling corn for the first time. Her grandparents used this experience to teach her the importance of God's blessing that he provides to us through nature. And at first, for a five-year-old, the work was great fun. But after only a few minutes, Michaela looked at her grandmother and said, you know, you can buy this at the grocery store. (laughs) You know, in our modern times, our ideas of farming are quite different than what Jesus saw around him as he walked upon this earth. He didn't see these massive combines that we have today. You know, we're one person, and with a few people and support vehicles, can harvest thousands of acres all by themselves. That would have taken an army of people in Jesus' day to accomplish the same thing. No, he saw something more like this. Hand-intensive laboring. Where you got out there in the field and you threw the rake and then somebody came behind you, gathered it up, tied it up. Hard work, intensive work. That's what he saw. And that's what he had in mind when he said, pray to the Lord of harvest to send forth reapers. Hard work. You know, we sing a, used to sing a song called Bringing in the Sheaves. You know, we don't sing it that much anymore. You know why? Because nobody knows what a sheave is. <laughs> okay, you know, it doesn't make sense. Well, it, basically, we could reword it and say, bringing in the harvest, bringing in the harvest, but, you know, sheaves works better poetically. But this is a sheave right there. Gathering up the crop, tying it together, putting it together in piles so that it can dry in the sun and then later be 
gone through the, the winnowing process to get the grain separated from the chaff. We need to get the combine out of our head and out of our thinking and get to this level. Remember, when I was a young man, mass evangelism was a big thing, and it was, you know, we can save the world just by sending out flyers and mailers. No, you can't. You might get a few, but the most effective style of sharing Christ and, and leading souls to Christ is personal touch, hand harvesting. And we can't outsource this. You and I must do the work in the various fields that God has sown all around us. You know, spiritually, in our actions, right doing, and finally in this bringing in a harvest of souls. We need to get to the work. But why did he leave the work to us? Because he created us to bring glory to him. And we do that through our lives. It can't just be a mental thing that's going on. It has to be something that is holistic and involves all of our life. And by the way, we need to be diligent. For through our negligence, the harvest can go to waste. You see, crops grow through three basic stages. There's that green stage when they really aren't fit to eat. Any of you ever tried to eat a green persimmon? Oh, your, your lips are going to go rock because you know, they're as sour as all get out. Don't want it. It's green. But waiting too long can cause a crop to rot. I, I've often had times where I go out and I look at that tomato on the vine and it looks beautiful and red and you reach to grab it and your fingers go right through the back side of it because it is rotten as all get out on the other side. Wait too long, it goes rotten and it's no good. We need to be ready to harvest the crop when it's ripe. Whether that be in our personal lives, as we harvest the fruit of the Spirit and righteous acts, or whether it's in the lives of others as we bring them in to meet our Savior. We are engaged in God's great agricultural endeavor. We need to put our hand to the plow, brothers and sisters, and not look back. But keep our eyes on Jesus Christ as we sow the word, as we water it, and as we bring in the harvest that God has provided for us. These are the days of the harvest. The wheat is white in the fields, but the laborers are few. You know, it might be today that you are ready to be brought in to God's service. You've had the word planted in your life, and now it's ripe within you, leading you to want to give your life to God through Jesus Christ. We are ready to help you do that, to put feet on your faith and become a fellow laborer in God's field and recipients of the blessings that come through God's amazing grace. But whatever your need is today, whether it's to rededicate your life as a Christian to serve in the vineyard, whether it's to ask for prayers of the church for needs that you have, or to accept Jesus Christ as your Savior in baptism and be brought into God's great barn, I like to call it, the church.
where you are kept safe together with your fellow Christians until the day that Jesus calls us all home. Whatever your need is, why don't you come to him as we stand and as we sing.